Lecture 10, Part 3 of The Endowments of Man by William Bernard Ullathorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Lecture 10 Why Man Was Not Created Perfect. Part 3 The divine wisdom teaches us in Ecclesiasticus that all things are made double, one against another, and God hath made nothing defective. He hath established the good things of every one, and who shall be filled with his glory? Of this corresponding order of things, the most conspicuous example is that of the heavens doubled against the earth, and shedding their beneficent influences upon all that the earth contains. The firmament on high is his beauty, the beauty of heaven with its glorious show, the sun when he appeareth showing forth at his rising an admirable instrument, the work of the Most High. A nearer example of this double formation of things, one against another, is the human body, each part of whose construction is doubled, one part against the other, and in which the noble and commanding members, the organs of mind and will, are placed superior as against the less noble and obediential members, which are placed inferior. When we enter our interior, we find there the superior soul doubled against the inferior soul. As Aristotle expresses it in his politics, there is implanted in the soul a double part, one that commands and one that obeys. The superior is to the inferior soul what the heavens are to the earth for on the superior side is the light of truth and justice, whilst on the inferior side are the movements of sense and the animal instincts that press upon the soul from below, whilst the will is the central power between the two, making its free choice between the heavenly light above and the earthly instinct beneath in this doubling of the spiritual against the carnal man and in setting his light over our darkness god hath established the good things of every one and the question remains who shall be filled with his glory to which the answer comes he who looks up to the light above and who takes hold on the heavenly grace and who enters into the strength of god for nature has expressed this truth by the pen of the pagan poet i see the better things and approve them but i follow the worse and grace has expressed the same truth more clearly by the pen of st paul the good which i will i do not and again i am delighted with the law of god according to the inner man but I see another law in my members, fighting against the law of my mind. Yet we may still adhere to the text of Ecclesiasticus. God hath made nothing defective. He hath established the good things of every one. He has put the light of truth in our mind, like the heavens above the earth, and this light is doubled over our weak and imperfect nature that we may know what to approve and what to condemn. 
in what way to advance and from what to recede that we may not err from the path that leads to our perfection we see the better things above doubled against the inferior things below that we may reconcile the two by choosing the superior for our master and the inferior for our servant and as the weakness of our inferior nature is revealed to us by the light placed like a sun in our superior nature we have the unfailing admonition to seek the strength we need from god who never fails those who seek his grace with all their heart in his advancement of learning lord bacon has expressed the truth we are here treating in a quaint but forcible english which commends itself to close thinkers he says there is found in everything a double nature of good this double nature of good and the comparative thereof is much more engraven in man if he degenerate not his approach or assumption to divine or angelic nature is the perfection of his form the error or false imitation of which good is that which is the tempest of human life while man upon the instinct of an advancement formal and essential is carried to seek advancement local let those who boast themselves the followers of the scientific method of bacon in which he was long before anticipated by his great namesake the franciscan friar of oxford observe how in the spirit of a true philosopher he establishes the formal essential and final end of man and then measures his human progress by his advancement to that end to put what he here says into modern language there are two ideas or forms of good before the human mind that of ourself as a natural good wanting completeness and that of god as the form of divine or perfect good but until our imperfect nature approaches or is taken up to the divine good which is also the angelic good we do not receive the perfection of our form but when a man misdirects his instinct or appetite that points to this supreme or universal good and diverts that instinct or appetite to what is local that is to what is of this earth he commits the grave error of seeking the universal good in a false direction and encounters the tempest of life making no advancement meanwhile towards that divine or angelic good which forms him to perfection but the less a man has degenerated the more he holds engraven in him the comparative value of these two kinds of good knowing himself to be the lesser good whose form is incomplete and that god is the perfect good and that when he is advanced or taken up to god his form obtains its perfection should any one say that he wishes to abstain from evil but that he cannot do so he ought to remember that after a man has been long infected with disease he cannot be cured by wishing it an evil habit of long standing 
can only be got rid of by introducing a greater good into the soul that by its vital force the evil may be expelled out of the system if he will only seek that greater good it will be given him even the fear of being caught and punished as titus of bosra observes when it gets possession of a man will conquer his cupidity and stay him from evil-doing and this itself shows that sin is not the growth of nature but a work of the affections let us all therefore praise the laws that punish the guilty without making any apology and that confirm the common sense of mankind which has no notion that men are driven by nature to crime but is convinced that they give themselves to crime of their own free choice and deserve their punishment we now come to the masterly argument of saint irenaeus that disciple of the apostolic men whose praise has flowed from the pens of many fathers of the church listen then to the substance of his teaching you ask why god could not have made man perfect from the beginning you ought to know then that whatever is created must be inferior to its creator and that what is not uncreated must fall short of perfection being of recent date they are in an infantile condition the mother could give strong meat to her child but the child is unable to receive it and god might have given perfection to man from his earliest existence but being yet an infant he could not receive it it was for a like reason that our lord came to us only in these latter times summing up all things in himself and not coming as he might have come but as we are able to behold him he might have come in his immortal glory but how could we have borne the weight of that glory for this reason although he was the perfect bread of the father he gave himself to us as milk is given to infants that being nourished at his breast we might get accustomed to this milk diet in partaking of the word of god and so become able to receive the bread of immortality which is the spirit of the father saint paul had this in view when he said to the corinthians i gave you milk to drink not meat because you were not yet able as if he had said to them you have learnt the lord's coming as man but because of your infirmity the spirit of the lord does not yet rest upon you as the apostle had the power of giving the corinthians strong meat from the beginning god had the power of giving man perfection from the beginning but man was only recently created he could not receive it or if he did receive it he could not have dealt with it there was nothing impossible on god's part the defect was in the newly created man god hath exhibited his power wisdom and goodness in one united plan his power in creating and constituting the things that did not exist before his wisdom in adapting and fitting them harmoniously into each other 
and his unspeakable benignity in giving them growth and prolonged existence to reflect the glory of the uncreated one the glory of god who gives them good without jealousy for god is the cause of all things and all things are subject to god and as the glory of the uncreated one is incorruptible to be subject to god is the preservation of incorruption it is through this order harmony and divine guidance of things that man is man and is constituted to the image and likeness of god the father planned all things well and gave the command the son executed the command and framed the work the holy spirit nourishes and gives increase to that which is made but man is advanced to what is perfect by little and little and is thus advanced by being brought nearer to the uncreated one it was necessary that he be first created that after being created he receive growth that after receiving growth he be strengthened that after he is strengthened he be multiplied that after he is multiplied he be recovered from his disorder that after he is recovered from his disorder he be glorified and that in being glorified he see the lord god for god remains yet to be seen and the vision of god is the cause of incorruption and incorruption bringeth near to god it is unreasonable therefore to ascribe our infirmity to god instead of waiting for our growth he who does this neither knows god nor himself he is as unsatiable as he is ungrateful and it is through excess of passion that he is unwilling to be what god has made him flying beyond the law of his nature he would wish to be like god his creator even before he has become a man the dumb beasts make no complaint that they are not men they are thankful for their condition as it is but men are more unreasonable they complain of god that he makes them men first that they may be made gods hereafter instead of being made gods all at once yet how can they change their creator with grudging and envy when he tells them even now i have said you are gods and all sons of the most high and then he says to us who are still incapable of bearing the power of his divinity but nevertheless ye shall die as men in this manner does the almighty set forth his own benignity and our infirmity whilst he intimates at the same time that we are left in our own power for in his benignity he has already given good to us and given it to us in such a way that we may be like him in the very fact of being in our own power but in his foresight he knows our weakness and what befalls us through our weakness and has therefore reserved to his own love and power the gift to enable us to overcome our frailty 
it was needful then for us that nature should make its appearance first and that afterwards what is corruptible should be absorbed in incorruption and what is mortal in immortality and it is for the sake of this exceeding good that man is made in the image of god that he may be transferred to his likeness and may receive the knowledge of good and evil our good in this world is to believe god to obey him and to keep his commandments this is the cause of our life our evil is to disobey god this is the cause of our death god therefore gave us a large mental light that with its help we may know the good of obedience and the evil of disobedience and that having experienced both of them we may come to the making of a wise choice and may not through our indolence be neglectors of his commands for we have much firmer and more certain knowledge of what has passed through our experience than of what we only know by conjecture and surmise and were we left in ignorance of evil how could we obtain the discipline of good the experience of evil as well as of good begets a firmer determination to keep the good of life by obeying god and to shun the evil of death that comes of disobedience but if we are thoughtless enough to neglect the two kinds of knowledge that come of this double experience we unconsciously kill the man within us how can you be a god before you are completed as a man or how can you expect to be perfect having come so recently into existence how can you be immortal after failing in your mortal nature to obey your creator it is not you who make god but god who makes you and until you have been faithful to your state of man god will not give you his glory as you are of god's making and as your creation is still going on you must wait patiently for the hand of your maker who will supply what is wanting in due course of time give your heart to him in a soft and pliable condition like the clay in the potter's hands for if you become hard you will not be able to receive the impression of his plastic fingers keep that form into which the divine artist moulds you for by retaining the form that god may please to give you you rise into perfection depend upon it that as the divine workman moulds you into a better design he will conceal your clay with silver and gold and will adorn you with such perfection that the king will desire your beauty but if you are stiff and unyielding you repel the hand of the divine artist you prove yourself ungrateful to his noble design and will lose the divine art that would form you and the divine workmanship that would perfect you and lose your own life as well for whilst it depends on the divine goodness to make us perfect it depends on our own submissiveness whether we will be made perfect 
so that only on the condition of our delivering ourselves with submissive confidence into his hands shall we receive his divine workmanship in return and so become his perfect work as god is able to raise up children to abraham from the very stones there is no want of power or skill on his part but if instead of trusting yourself to him you will fly from his hands you are yourself the cause of your imperfect condition it is you who will neither let your god perfect you nor work with him that you may be perfected although a man may blind himself he cannot destroy the light which remains ever as before he may avoid the light by going into the dark because no one is compelled to accept his illumination whether he will or not god compels no one to accept his skill to make him perfect against his own will there is no question but that men are in their own power but when they use their freedom to withdraw from their father's light they transgress the law of liberty and lose the better things through their own fault as god foresees and provides all things he has prepared suitable dwellings as well for those who love his light as for those who fly from his light for those who with love thirst for his light in his benignity he has prepared an incorruptible light but for those who despise his light who fly from its approach and choose to blind themselves in darkness he has prepared such mansions of darkness as befit the enemies of light and such a subjection to punishment as befits them who will not be subject to him to be subject to god is everlasting rest but they that fly from light and peace and refuse god's rest will find a dwelling prepared for their restless condition which is devoid of that light and peace from which they so willingly fly it is they who by abandoning god defraud themselves of the good that is only to be found in god and it is they who by abandoning peace and rest bring themselves into fellowship with pain by their abandonment of light they justly dwell in darkness by choosing to withhold themselves from god's eternal light which has in it the promise of eternal good they are themselves the unhappy cause of receiving their dwelling in that everlasting darkness which is empty of all good this then is the great plan of god's divine economy that man should pass through all things and be tried in all and have the experience of moral conduct before he comes to the resurrection from the dead and after his experience has taught him who has delivered him and from what he has been delivered he will then be everlastingly grateful to god and will greatly love him for as the scripture says to whom much is forgiven he greatly loveth he also learns by experience to know himself and to understand how weak and mortal he is 
he learns likewise by experience to know god to know his goodness mightiness and immortality since he gives immortality to that which is by nature mortal and eternity to that which is by its natural constitution temporal he also learns to know by experience the attributes of god as in his exercise of them he reveals his greatness for god is the glory of man but man is the recipient of those providential operations that make known to him the wisdom power and mercy of god as the physician makes his qualifications known by healing his patients god makes his attributes known by healing man and giving him perfection st paul has touched upon this profound reason of the divine economy where he says god hath included all in unbelief that he may have mercy on all man has only to abide in the love of god with subjection and gratitude and he will receive from god the power to make progress and to reach his glorious end by becoming like to him who died for him it was for this very purpose that god the word was made like to sinful flesh that he might condemn sin in the flesh and cast it out and call upon men to imitate his example he laid his father's law upon them and called on them to imitate god by observing that law that in becoming like to him they might deserve to see him he was made man and dwelt in man that whilst obeying his father's will he might accustom man to receive god and accustom god to dwell in man it is a useful danger observes titus of bosra even if it were not a necessary danger that we should not be created absolutely good but exposed at first to evil for otherwise we should be wholly defeated of good the man is good who is just and temperate but he is just by abstaining from injustice and temperate by abstaining from intemperance what virtues could he carry to heaven if he had nothing to contend for and nothing to contend against if a man had been put to no trial between good and evil the grand work of god's fatherly providence would never have brought his paternal attributes to all hearts nor would his wonderful condescension have been known to his human children that infinite patience with his creatures and that long forbearance with the ungrateful would not have glorified our heavenly father have filled the angels and the just with wonder and the penitent with consolation and astonishment the untiring bounty and care of our heavenly father's providence as it is exercised over his enemies as well as his friends that maketh his son to rise upon the good and the bad and reigneth upon the just and the unjust would not have filled heaven and earth with amazement at his goodness had we not been exposed to evil as well as good 
the mercy of god that pursues the sinner with remorse that turns sin into bitterness that follows the sinner with yearning compassion that is ever ready with life and healing to restore him to pardon and friendship would not have revealed to his creatures the unspeakable tenderness of god the divine power would not have come forth in all its magnificence with love for its motive and wisdom for its guide to draw good with incredible abundance out of evil nor would the divine generosity have been displayed to his intelligent creatures in the truly godlike exercise of lifting up the lowly and the fallen raising up the needy from the dust and the poor from the dunghill to make them sit with princes even with the princes of his people what in short should we have ever known of the fatherly attributes of our god that reveal the profound things of his heart that inexhaustible goodness that unconquerable patience that infinite mercy and unspeakable tenderness of love had we never known weakness or evil were it possible notwithstanding our free will and our origin from nothingness and had it been so ordained that we should be created incapable of sinning our human nature would never have been raised from a depth so low to a height so divine by its personal union with god in the incarnation of his eternal word for our redemption through that unspeakable union of god with man we have obtained a divine head to the whole human race for our greater union with god through the right of the divine humanity and such an abundance of every kind of grace suited to our human condition as we could never have hoped for except at a fearful cost of the sacrifice of christ the son of god again if man had not been placed between good and evil he would have had no history as he could have made no progress and what does this signify that there would be no eternal remembrance for the heavens of that wonderful and most ample course of god's dealing with men through the ages or of man's continual combat with evil and of his deliverance from evil to good the prophets the law the gospel would not have been the apostles the martyrs the fathers the saints all perfected through suffering would not have been under divine direction the successive illuminators of the world and the wonder-workers of god's wisdom and power the solemn rite of sacrifice would not have worshipped god in the former ages foreshadowing the cross and keeping up men's hopes and trust in a divine deliverer nor should we have seen god in our nature in human habit like our own walking before us in example bearing our sins and sorrows enlightening us with heavenly truth in a human way and giving us assurance that by following him we come to god and even to the mountain of his vision 
we should never have had that sublime and awful demonstration of god's justice or that crowning proof of his inexhaustible love in the sacrifice of his son upon the cross for the remission of our sins which shall be sung as the hymn of the glorified throughout eternity nor should we have known the exceeding humility and charity of the son of god whose spirit flows in grace to heal the wounds of fallen humanity before the question is asked why god did not make man perfect and sinless from the first it must be remembered that we are speaking of god's earthly dispensation and that for reasons profound beyond our search as well as for reasons made known to us it was the eternal plan to have a great earthly dispensation with a wonderful exercise of the divine power wisdom mercy and goodness and that the greater the difficulties arising from the weak elements of this creation all the more grand and glorious is the divine triumph in raising up such a vast amount of everlasting good from elements so weak and from wills so unstable it should also be remembered that if we had never known our weakness we should never have known what strength we receive from god to accomplish our union with him had we never been liable to sin we should never have been taken from the stock of adam to be engrafted on the divine humanity of christ had we been without free will we should have been incapable of love and incapable of devotedness just think of a blessedness in which you could not love or be grateful or be generous just think of a blessedness in which you could not freely give yourselves as children to the father of your blessedness had we been created perfect without our will and cooperation it would have been rather a passive than an active perfection more like that of a material than of a free and spiritual nature had we been created in heaven rather than on earth we must have been creatures of another kind and had we been there made perfect at once we could never have known our nature and what it is in itself as apart from the divine gifts by which it is perfected the angels therefore were placed on trial and left capable of sin before they were perfected had we not been tried and found wanting until the inmost core of our nature was searched through with divine light and grace the deepest grounds for that profound and sweet humility which is the soul's inmost expression of truthful sincerity justice and right dependence would not be there to make her virtue most pleasing to god those highest motives of gratitude for the deliverance from evil would be wanting to the soul and finally the overpowering argument to superabounding love arising from the contrast between all that god has pardoned in the past and all the beatitude he gives in the everlasting present 
would not be there to perfect the ardor of grateful love for to whom less is forgiven he loveth less end of lecture 10 part 3